0: Today on Awaken to Grace, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to study the familiar story of David and Goliath. You know the danger of studying such a familiar passage is that sometimes we don't see it with fresh eyes. Well, today we're asking God to give us a fresh perspective to see uh, certain truths out of the story of David and Goliath that will apply to our lives. So I want to encourage you to listen to today's sermon and let it speak into your heart, into your life. we're in 1st Samuel 17 if you'll turn there you can't really appreciate 1st Samuel 17 without understanding and reading 1st Samuel 16 because they really go hand in hand so while our focus today is on 1st Samuel 17 we'll stretch back a little bit and look at 16 now as most of you know In this season, I am blind. I cannot see anything. So rather than reading the text word for word, I'm just going to walk us through the text today. I've probably listened to the audio portion of 1 Samuel 17. I don't know how many times I've listened to it this week, but I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And you know one of the dangers when we teach or listen to a sermon like David and Goliath? For many of us, it's so familiar. That can be a danger. For some of you, perhaps you weren't raised in church. Perhaps you don't even really know the story of David and Goliath. And today will be the first time that you really hear the story in detail. But for many of us, we grew up with this. And it's quite familiar to us. And if we're not careful, it can be so familiar to us that we really miss what God wants to say. So my prayer today is that God is going to allow us to read and hear and experience the story of David and Goliath in a new way and in a fresh way that gives us fresh eyes and fresh ears, that God would be able to say something fresh into our life. How many of you are like me? I need God to say something fresh to me. I need something from heaven today. Anybody else like that? And so I want to hear what the Spirit would have to say to me today. And I trust however many people's in the room today, however many people are watching online or listening online, that God's going to have something unique and something fresh to say to everyone. So let's begin 1 Samuel chapter 17. We find that Israel is in a battle with the Philistines. And I want us, number one, to note the place of the battle. The place of the battle, according to the Bible, was the Valley of Elah. Now, the Valley of Elah is significant throughout Scripture. It literally means the Valley of Champions. And what the Bible teaches is that the Philistines were on one side of the valley, the Israelites were on the other side of the valley, and down in the valley was the battle line. Now, you would think that they would clash and go to war, but there was a strategy on the Philistines' part. And their strategy was a certain giant who belonged to their ranks. And the Bible calls him Goliath. Most of us know who Goliath was. We've heard the story. But today I want us to see this story in, in a fresh way. and So I want you to get the picture in your mind if you can. I want you to picture the battle scene in the Valley of Elah. And here they are ready for war. But rather than going to war, the Philistines will send out their giant. And here's what the Bible says. For 40 days and for 40 nights, the Philistine took his stand against Israel. Now, those of you who are fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, you know how long that is now, right? Because you got 14 days left. And you realize 40 days is a long time. Well, Goliath has stood for 40 days and 40 nights and he has railed against the God of Israel, and he has railed against the armies of Israel. Now, you have to remember, earlier in 1 Samuel, the people chose for them a king. And who did they choose? They chose King Saul. God never intended them to have a king. The nation was to be ruled by God himself, but the people wanted a king. And God said, okay, you want a king? I'll give you what you want. And who did the people choose? They chose the man in Saul that the Bible said was a head and shoulder taller than every other man of Israel. They looked at Saul and they said, that's our leader because he looks like a leader. He looks like he knows what he's doing. And I almost find it comical that God would put Israel... With their king, who is a head and shoulder above every other man, and now God's put him up against a giant. And what is Saul doing? Saul is in the boat as every other man in Israel. The Bible said that when The giant Goliath came out and defied the armies and defied the ranks of Israel. The Bible says that his words were so fierce, his words were so strong that every man in the army of Israel was dismayed and greatly afraid. There's a couple things I want you to note here. Number one, I want you to note that Satan waged war. This is a type of Satan. Goliath is a type of the enemy. He waged war against the people of Israel without ever throwing a spear or thrusting a sword. He did it solely with his words. He paralyzed, he immobilized the armies of Israel simply with his words. Let me tell you, my friend, the enemy will do the same to you today. He'll try to paralyze you with fear. He'll lie to you. He'll tell you deceptions. He'll tell you things hoping that it would paralyze you. Do you realize that today? It's his tactic. Now on this day, they faced a mighty giant. Goliath was no joke. Goliath was a giant. Just his armor weighed 125 pounds. Just the head of his spear, I'm talking the part that would go through the body of a man, weighed 25 pounds. We're not joking here, but let me tell you, today in our world, in the kingdom of God, I want you to understand you and I face an enemy today that is far more lethal, far more dangerous, far more mighty than any giant or Goliath that you and I would ever face in the flesh. The Bible says that our enemy is as a roaring lion. He walks about, he prowls about, seeking whom he may destroy. Satan would love nothing more than to paralyze you today with fear. He would love nothing more than to come and, 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 and speak lies to you, into your marriage Speak lies into your prayer life. Speak lies into your children. Speak lies over your family. He would love nothing else. And I'm fascinated that here are two armies. Set for war. And yet for 40 days and 40 nights. Not a spear is thrown. Not a sword is thrust. It's simply a war of words. And in Forty days and forty nights, Goliath has completely paralyzed the entire army of Israel, including their tall head and shoulder, taller than every other man King Saul. I want you to note this. It's often in the valley that will be our greatest experiences. I want you to note this. The battle happened in the valley of Elah. And if you and I are not careful, what you and I try to avoid in our life are the valleys. But it's in the valleys that God gives his greatest blessings. I want to say to you don't be afraid of your valley experiences. Don't be afraid of the valley. The end of this year, God willing, I'll have a book coming out called Strength in the Valley. Strength in the Valley. I love what Ruth Bell Graham, the beloved wife of Billy Graham, before she passed, I love the quote that she gave. It really is what gave me the idea for the book. And you know what she said about valleys? She said, this is so beautiful, mountaintops are made for breathtaking views. Mountaintops are made for inspiration, but fruit grows in the valley. Praise God. Don't be afraid of your valley experiences today. Trust God in the valleys because I tell you, he does his greatest supernatural work in the valley. Don't be afraid of it. Often the times of greatest spiritual warfare. Often the times of greatest spiritual attack. Often the times of the deepest, darkest, lowest valleys. That's the place that we find God the most faithful. That's the place where we find the supernatural. That's the place where we find God at his best in our life. Amen? It's in the valley. So now we have this scene in our mind. and They're at the valley of Elah, the place of battle. Philistines are on one side. Israel's on the other side. And now we understand David is going to be sent to check on his brothers. Now, you can't understand chapter 17 without really appreciating chapter 16. Let's go back there for just a second. Because in chapter 16, the Spirit of God departs from King Saul. And God says, I'm going to find myself a king. The people chose this king. I'm going to choose the next king. He tells the prophet Samuel, go to a certain city and you're going to anoint the next king. I'll tell you. I'll show you who to anoint. He goes to the, he goes where God tells him and there is Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Jesse, according to the Bible, has eight boys. Can you imagine raising eight boys? (laughs) My little two-year-old boy is an absolute handful. His little two-year-old birthday party was yesterday. Today's his birthday. And he fell and, Well, we thought he broke his arm, but it's still up for debate. The radiologist has to read it Monday. I can't imagine having eight of them, eight boys. And David was the least. David was the youngest. He was the smallest. Samuel comes to Jesse's house, and he knows the next king of Israel is among Jesse's sons. David is out tending the fields. Remember Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He's probably out there writing Psalm 23. And all of Jesse's sons, seven of them, stand before Samuel with Eliab being the oldest. Samuel says to himself, Eliab is the older, he's the taller, he's the stronger, that's the king. The Lord said, no, he's not. I've rejected him. That's not the next king. He's he's rejected. He goes to the next Abinadab, no, I've rejected him, the Lord says. He goes to the next Shaman. no, I've rejected him. And on and on down all seven. Finally, he has to look, the prophet Samuel has to look at Jesse and say, do you not have any other sons? Is this it? Are there any other boys? And Jesse goes, oh, oh, yes, yes, there is one more David, but surely not David. David's the least. David, David's not a warrior, he's a poet. David, all he does is play this harp and write these songs and he's out there with the sheep. You you wouldn't want him. And Samuel said, go get him and we're not setting down till he gets back. And when David walks into the door, the Lord says, that's who I've chosen. And the Bible says that the spirit of God rushed upon David as he was anointed king out of the horn of oil. Praise God. And he was anointed king in the midst of all seven of his brothers. Now we find ourselves back in chapter 17. If you're saying amen today, if you're listening, say amen with me because I I want you to get this. Let's really get this today. David had to pass a series of three tests before he could face Goliath. There were three tests that God was going to take him through before he could really face the giant. And I want us to see how he passed them today, because I believe the three tests are in front of us before we, pay, before we face our real battle. Test number one was a test of obedience. Now, read the text carefully. Jesse told his, younger, his youngest son, David, I want you to go to the battle line because your three older brothers, Eliab, Abinadab, Abinadab and Shema, they followed Saul into battle. He said, I've baked bread for them. I have cheeses. I want you to take the breads, the cheeses. I want you to check on your brothers, get a word, bring back a token of their safety, and come back and see me. Now, I don't know about you. Can we get real for just a second? If I were David, and my dad had forgot about me in the most important family meeting that had ever taken place in the history of our family... Do you think I'd be willing to obey? I'd say, whoa, hold up. Hold up, dad. You don't know who's king. I was anointed king. I'm the next king of Israel. Get another son to do it. Would that have been your attitude? (laughs) You want me to leave my sheep and run down to the front line of the battle when you couldn't even remember me when Samuel was here? You want me to go? Get another son to do it. I'm getting ready for my kingship. That would have probably been my attitude. But you know what? David was filled with humility. David was a man after God's own heart. And when his father commanded him and said, David, take these things, take them. The Bible says, listen what it says. He rose early the next morning and did as his father commanded. My friends, I want us to understand some of us Listen, I don't want to live in this natural realm where where medicine says I can't help you and doctors say I can't help you and technology cannot help me. I don't want to live over here in this natural realm. I want to live over here in this supernatural realm where God is God. God can do anything he wants. God can heal me. God can help me. God can help you. I want to live in that realm. But you know what it takes to get there? Obedience. It takes Obedience. And if there's something in your life today, if there's something in my life that that I am not obeying the father I can't unlock those miracles. I can't, I, can't, I can't live in that supernatural place. Listen, I want you to think about this. What if David was unwilling to obey his father? What if David said, you know what? I'll do it when I'm ready. I'll do it in a week or two. I'll do it in a month or two. You know what? He would have missed the timing of God's supernatural blessing. He would have missed the battle. He would have missed Goliath. He would have missed what God intended for him. And I wonder what blessings are we missing because we simply will not obey. In Luke, I believe it's chapter 5, Jesus is teaching the massive crowds. And after Jesus teaches, he slips into the boat of a man named Simon, Peter, who's going to become one of his greatest followers. And Jesus, Peter had worked graveyard all night. Anybody ever worked graveyard shift before? I've worked graveyard shift before. It's not that bad at midnight. It's not that bad at 2. It starts getting bad about 3.30, about 4.30, right? It starts getting long. Peter had worked all night long. He'd fished all night long. And do you remember what Jesus said to him? Jesus is in the boat because, listen, Jesus, he preached to the crowds, but he really wanted to preach to Peter. You understand? And out of all the people in this room today, let me tell you, God has a word for you today. Out of all the thousands that are going to be listening online, God has a word for you today, something personal for you. And here's what he tells Peter. He said, Peter, push out a little from the shore. And Peter did that. And when they were out in the deep, Jesus said, Peter, let your nets down. Huh. Peter was washing his nets. A.K.A. Peter was clocking out. Peter was done. He was finished. And Jesus said, Peter, let down your nets. And Peter said, Jesus, we've toiled all night long. There's there's no fish here. If there were a fish, I would have called it. I'm a fisherman. I own my own fishing company. He and John, the Bible says he and John owned a company. It was P&J fishing. Well, it wasn't. (laughs) That wouldn't even make sense in their language. But we'll call it p and J. P and j fishing industry. Uh, Jesus, I know what I'm doing. See, my mouth would have got me in trouble. I I think I would have said, Jesus, if you want to build a table, let's build a table. You're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. I fish for a living. I know exactly what I'm doing. But you know what? Peter said something remarkable. David did as his father commanded, and Peter says something remarkable. Peter says, but nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the nets. Hallelujah. How many of you know sometimes God tells you to do something that doesn't make sense? Let me tell you something God's been telling me that doesn't make sense. My vision has gotten worse over the last month or so. Much worse, even worse than what it was. There is absolutely nothing in the natural that tells me there's any hope. There's absolutely nothing when I look in the natural that says that God is working. As a matter of fact, it would appear that God is not working. It would appear that things are getting worse and not better. But earlier this week, I was asleep. And it was early in the morning, and I was waking up, and my eyes were closed. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And the Lord said, Chad, when you open your eyes from here on out until whenever He tells me, the Lord said, When you open your eyes, Expect to see. Every morning when you wake up, expect it. Expect to see. That's what the Holy Spirit told me. Now, I could, I could go to God and say, God, I've been to Duke University, and they say it won't happen. God, I've been to the smartest doctors. They say it won't happen. God, there is absolutely no improvement. As a matter of fact, there's quite a bit worsening. But see, that's not what God says to do. I have to choose. Am I going to believe the natural? I have to choose. Am I going to do what I think is best? Or am I going to obey God when God says obey? And even when it doesn't make sense, and even when it doesn't sound right, am I going to say, but nevertheless, God, at your word, I'll do what you say. And every morning this week when I've opened my eyes, I expect to see. Not because I see any improvement, But because I believe the word of the Lord. And if we're going to go into this other place of seeing God do the impossible and seeing God do the supernatural, I'm telling you, it's going to take obedience. Obedience in every part. What if Jesus had told Peter, put out a little from the shore, and Peter said, Jesus, I worked all night, I'm tired. What if Peter had said, Jesus, why don't you come see me tonight when I clock back in, and then I'll take you as deep as you want to go. Imagine if Peter had not had passed that one little minute detail of a test. He would have missed a great supernatural miracle. And what are you and I missing today? Because obedience is not on our radar. Because obedience is not our priority. Let me tell you, my little children, they're not perfect. They are far from perfect. They're so much like their mother. They're... uh, uh, (laughs) That's, that's kind of a joke, sort of. But they, <clears throat> they are not... Per- but listen, listen, I don't expect them to be perfect. But I do expect them to be obedient. God expects the same out of us. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. But should we be obedient? Absolutely yes. As Peter wrote, as obedient children. The second test that David had to pass... When he gets to the battlefield, (laughs) he gets out here to the battlefield and his older brother, the one who was passed over for king, the one who even Samuel thought should have been king, but yet God said, I've rejected him. Eliab sees him. He goes up to David and he says, I know the evil of your heart. I know why you're out here. In other words, what he's saying is, you think you're anointed king now, you think you're gonna come at, I know the evil that's in your heart. And do you know what he says to David? I can't believe it. He says to David, and what have you done with those few sheep? I bet those were fighting words. I bet you David's blood pressure went out the roof. You don't talk about my sheep like that. What have do you done? Who have you left those few sheep? I bet David wanted to tear into him right there. But you know how David responded? Oh, this is beautiful. Just like a sibling, just like a sibling. David said, what have I done now? It's almost as if David's saying, Eliab, you've picked on me my whole life. What is it now? This is nothing new. Yeah, I'm anointed king, but this is nothing new. What have I done? This is only a word. In other words, we're just having a conversation. Do you know what you do? Do Do you know what you do when people are jealous over you? Do you know what you do when people quarrel with you? When people argue with you? Do you know what you do when people are bitter toward you and it's their sin? It's not your sin. Let me tell you what to do. You do exactly as David did in the text. You don't let their sin become your sin. You don't let their distraction become your distraction. Do you know what you do? Here's exactly what the Bible says David did. David turned from him and began talking to another. Now hear me. Say amen if you're with me because this is big. Satan doesn't want you fighting Goliath. He doesn't want you in the real battle. He wants you distracted over here quarreling, over here arguing, over here defending yourself, trying to get along with him. Listen, he wants you distracted today somebody arguing with you, somebody quarreling with you, somebody fighting with you, they're in conflict with you, I'll tell you right now what to do. Just turn from them. Don't even pay attention to them. Go on. Do what God's called you to do. Because Satan wants to distract you. He wants to keep you off the battlefield. Imagine if he'd gotten to a fight with his older brother right there. Imagine if they had gotten into it. You know what he would have done? He would have missed the battle with Goliath. Don't fight the wrong battles. Some of you are wasting all your strength fighting with family. Some of you are wasting all of your energy because somebody's mad at you. Somebody, listen, you waste all of your strength because your boss doesn't like you or because some coworker has a problem with you. Just turn from them and do what God says to do anyway. Don't give your strength. Don't give your energy. Don't give your time. Don't give what God really wants you to do. Don't forfeit that for somebody who it's their sin and it's their problem. Don't let their sin become your sin. Amen. That's good preaching, Chad. I'll amen myself. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Test uh, Test number three. So not only did he have to pass the obedience test, I'm telling you, I'd have a hard time obeying my father when he absolutely forgot me. Not only did he have to pass the obedience test, he had to pass the bitterness test. He didn't fight the wrong battle. He didn't get entangled. He didn't get ensnared with someone else's problem and someone else's sin. You should have the mindset that what God's told you to do is so big and so important and so detailed, you don't have time to fool with other people. Amen? Somebody got upset with me about a year ago and and uh, we have a mutual friend, and they said, well, Chad, what are you going to do about it? I said, what am I going to do? Tell them to stand in line. You don't bother me one bit. You want to fuss at me? I'm married. I can take it. I'm, I married a woman from Greenville. I can handle it. Amen? Praise God. You ain't going to bother me none. <laughs> oh, I hope she's not in here. Lord Jesus. Help me now, Lord. Help me now. Her mama is. Oh, Lord. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) But anyways, (laughs) her mama's from Greenville too. Oh, Lord. (laughs) David had to pass the third test. It was a test of criticism. Word got out that David, you know, certainly I wasn't there, but in my mind's eye, I picture when the Philistine came out and defied the God of Israel, I just picture I picture. David walking around saying, who is this guy? Who is he? he this, this Philistine is going to talk about God like this? Who, who's fighting him? Who's going? Give me a crack at him. Let me have him. I'll take him. And somehow word got back to Saul. And now David is in front of King Saul. You know what they say? They say, don't meet your heroes because usually they disappoint you. I bet Saul was a hero to David before he met him. Spirit of God had already departed off of Saul. And David, this ruddy, scholars think he was maybe 15, maybe, maybe, maybe he was 17 years old. And this ruddy teenager stands in front of the <coughs> stands in front of the king warrior, <coughs> King Saul. And David said, Let me go to battle with him. If Satan cannot distract you with other people, if he can't discourage you out of obedience, let me tell you what he'll do. He'll get someone critical on your back. Saul looks at David, and Saul says, You can't go out there. Listen, listen to what he says. What, uh, you know, what I see with his brother, what I see with Saul, these words are meant to cut. They're meant to wound. You ever been around someone that they just wounded you with, your, with their words? And Saul says to David, you're but a youth. You see that Philistine out there? He's been a warrior since his youth. It's no contest. It's no match. You can't do this. Well, you know what David does? <laughs> See, David had never been in front of important people. Only important person he'd probably ever met was Samuel. He didn't know what it was to be in front of important people. He didn't know how you're supposed to act. He didn't know what you were supposed to say. He didn't know nothing, right? And, and, And so he stands before Saul... And he says, no, no, your servant, I'm a shepherd. And let me tell you what happened. There was a time that a bear came and got a lamb. There was another time that a lion came and got a lamb. And do you know what your servant did, Saul? He went after that lamb. I got that lion. I got that bear. And I slayed them. And God helped me. And this is what he said. Read it in the Bible. He said, if God would deliver me from the paw of the lion, if God would deliver me from the paw of the bear, then surely God will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And you know what made the difference? Remember chapter 16? The Spirit of God rushed over David. And what you need to understand is when you stand before others, people who disagree with you, people who don't like you, people who would be critical toward you, here's what you need to remember. It's not just you. It's the Spirit of God on you. And you know what he says? He goes, no, I can take this Philistine. Let me have him. I'll take him right now. God will deliver us. And apparently it was so powerful, it was so persuasive that the Bible says that Saul said, go and the Lord be with you. He won him over. But Saul did something to David that people will try to do to you. They'll try to do it to me. Saul said, if you're going to go to battle, you got to know how to go to battle. you got to wear armor. Look at his armor. His armor weighs 125 pounds. David probably weighed 90 pounds. And he goes, you're going to have to wear my armor. And you know what people will do? They'll put their expectations on you. They'll put who they think you should be, who you, how you should I act. Mean, listen, people will pour their expectations all over you. And you can't live up to that stuff. You realize that? Can you imagine what would have happened if David had went out in Saul's bronze helmet and his coat of armor? Can you imagine how, yeah, th- no, that wasn't God's purpose. That wasn't his intention. And David, I love it. David didn't, you know, David didn't know what political clout was. He didn't know what political capital was that you cash in on later. David looks at Saul and goes, I can't do, I can't wear this. This is silly. This is, I, I've not tested this. Take this off. He says no to the king. He didn't know any better. Let me tell you something. Some of you feel so inadequate. Some of you feel like you don't know what you're doing here. Well, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to do spiritual warfare. I don't know if I'm fasting right. I don't know if I've got any of this right. Let me tell you, God loves to use people who don't know what they're doing. It's the people like Saul who know what they should be doing and don't. That's the people the Lord departs from. That's the people that God walks away from. But people who don't know what they're doing and they're just saying, God, use me however you can use me. That's who God loves to use. Amen? And I want to tell you. David, listen, listen, David could have got entangled with his brother over that bitterness. David could have got discouraged with the criticism. And listen, God had already rejected them. Why should David care what they think? And some of you listening today, you're entangled with messes that you should have no business being in. And the people you're trying to please, the people you're trying to impress, the people that you're trying to get on your side, God's already rejected them. Why should you care what they think? Why should it matter to you? Why should it stop you? Why should it hinder you from doing what God has called you to do? Amen, Chad. Amen. Preach. Hallelujah. (laughs) He can't wear those expectations. He can't wear that armor. And you know what the Bible says he did? This old shepherd boy, he did what he knew. He got his shepherd's staff. He put on his shepherd's bag. (laughs) He put five smooth stones in that shepherd's pouch and he took his sling and he went to do war. Let me tell you what God's looking for in our church. He's not looking for the tallest today. He's not looking for the strongest. He's not looking for the one who has all the answers, the one whose life is all together. He's not looking for the one that's never faced any kind of rejection, that's never went through any kind of hurt or any kind of loneliness. Let me tell you who God's looking for. Somebody that will just be who God's made them to be and let the spirit of God rush over them and anoint them and use them. That's who God's looking for. And David walked out to battle. Saul was so heavily armored, he had an arm, not Saul, the Goliath was so heavily armored, he had an armor bearer in front of him. A man who carried extra, his armor bearer went in front of him. And how did David go? With a shepherd's pouch, five smooth stones, a sling, and a shepherd's staff. And it's all he needed because God was on his side. Amen. So he passed the test. Now comes the real test. Goliath. I'm going to begin to finish with this, but listen. Are you still with me? Because I can't see you. I don't know if you're with me or not. You could be playing tic-tac-toe for all I know. So David approaches the battle line. When the Philistine sees him, he gets angry. Now imagine... (laughs) David's walking out there with a shepherd's staff. Not a sword, not a spear, not a javelin, not an armor bearer. He's walking out with a shepherd's stick. Goliath sees him and makes him angry. And Goliath says, what am I, a dog? That you would come to me with sticks. And let me tell you, oh, I love it. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh, I love this text. Let me tell you what I see in this text. Uh, Scholars may not agree, but let me tell you what I see. I see that David learns how to trash talk real quick. All right? Now, I'm sure he knew some trash talk, being the youngest out of of eight. I'm sure he could hold his own. But listen, David never been in this situation. He had never been in war. He had never been on a battlefield. He didn't know how you trash talk. And everything that Goliath said to him, he said back. David learned real quick. So watch what happens. Goliath says, what am I, a dog that you come to me with sticks? (laughs) And you know what David says? He dishes it right back. He says, you come to me with a sword and spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Oh, that's some Bible trash talk right there. (laughs) Talk smack now, let's go. I'm telling you, up to this point, it'd been nothing but a war of words, right? Up to this point. And he says, you come, think of it. Goliath is angry and he says, am I a dog that you approached me with a stick? And David's saying, oh, you don't know the mess you're in now because I'm not coming to you with a, all you got is a sword and spear. I've got the Lord of hosts and you don't know how much trouble you're in. (sighs) Oh, I would have loved to have seen it. He gave it right back. And then, (laughs) let me show you. I'm I'm not making it up. It's right there. (laughs) And then Goliath says to him, this is what he says. I'm going to give your body to the birds of the air. Now, those are fighting words, right? All Goliath has done so far is talk. And you know what David says? Oh, he can trash talk back. David says... This day, the hand of God's going to deliver me, and I'm going to give your body to the birds of the air and the bodies of the hosts of the Philistines to the, to the animals of the field that all the earth will know there's a God in Israel. Mic drop. Boom. <laughs> That's what I would have done. I would have... <sighs> yeah. You right? You with me? Come on now. And listen to what the Bible says. Now remember, where's David's confidence? Now, listen, you go up to Satan with false confidence. you know what's going to happen? You're going to get hurt and you're going to get hurt bad. But where was David's confidence? Why? Because David said, "Because the battle belongs to the Lord." That was his confidence. That's why he could talk smack with a giant without any armor and with no sword because he had that much confidence in his shepherd. So now it's about to get real. The Bible says that Goliath stood up and approached the battle line. But do you know what it says David did? David ran toward the line. (laughs) Let me tell you who God's looking for today. Let me tell you who God fights their battles for today. Those who will run head on into the battle Those who aren't running from it, they're running to it. They know it's uncomfortable. They know it's hard. They know it's unpleasant. But they know it's only a season. They know it's only a time and that God's going to fight for them. Let me tell you, you don't run away from things that Satan brings into your life. You run head on into it because God doesn't give us the grace to go around things. God gives us the grace to go straight through them. Amen? Amen? And David ran into the battle line. The Bible says that as he ran, he reached into his pouch, and he took a smooth stone. He put it into his sling. And do you want to know how fast that stone traveled? I don't know, because the Bible don't tell us. (laughs) But do you know how fast that stone went? The Bible says it struck the Philistine in the forehead, and listen to this, and it sank in. Can you picture this Philistine? I picture his beard down to here, caked with food. (laughs) And that stone sunk into that giant's forehead. Let me tell you, it had the force, it had the wind of the Holy Spirit behind it. And the Bible says that giant fell to the earth. Hallelujah. What is the point of today? The point of today is that there are many of you here that you don't feel like you're strong enough to fight your battles. Listen, you're not. There's some of you today, you don't feel adequate. Let me tell you, you're not. But that's why the battle belongs to the Lord. Let's finish this section and Michael can go ahead and come. Listen, listen, The Bible is so particular to document this. When David kills Goliath, and David stands over his body and kills him with Goliath's own sword. Let me tell you what the Bible says. So David prevailed over the giant that day, and there was no sword in his hand. Do you know what that says? that's saying that God doesn't need what you and I have. God will fight our battles the way God wants to. All he needs is obedience. All he needs is a people who's undistracted. All he needs is a people that can brush off conflict. All he needs is a people who will run to the battle line and say, are you kidding me? God's name is on the line. God's not gonna fail. God's not gonna fail. You know, as we work toward this healing service, I'll be honest, it makes me nervous. What if nothing happens? What if nothing goes on? What if? if... And I was talking to my great friend and mentor, Terry Whitson. Terry's my father in the faith. And Terry helped me so much. He said, Chad, the pressure's not on you. The pressure's on God. God. It's His name. It's His glory. It's His word. It's His promises. All He needs from me is obedience. That's all He needs. He needs me not to get entangled and ensnared in other people's stuff. That's all He needs. He needs me to brush off conflict when it comes my way. He needs me to go toward the battle line. Where are you today? You fighting and quarreling with others? Are you distracted from the real battle today? Are you shut down and paralyzed with fear, lies that the enemy's telling you? Are you you shut down over criticism because somebody don't think you do this or that the way you should? Listen, you need to turn it over to God today. And you need to say, God, I believe you're the Lord of hosts. I believe you're the God who fights my battles. Some of you, God, can't fight your battles because you're too busy fighting them. And you're in God's way. Some of you need to come to the altar today and say, God, I'm gonna step out of my, I'm gonna step out of your way. I I thought I was helping, but I'm not. I'm just gonna step out of the way, God. And I'm gonna trust you to fight my battles. God knows the, the giants we face He appoints them. He knows the challenges we go through. He appoints it. That's why the Bible says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. That word encounter literally means to keep an appointment. God knows what you face. And God has the strength you need, He has the grace you need, He has the answer that you need. But you're gonna have to get out of God's way today. You're gonna say, God, I'm gonna obey you, I'm not gonna get distracted. I'm not gonna worry about criticism. I'm gonna run toward the giant and I'm gonna let you do the work. Let's bow our heads today. If you need to come to the altar, we have people who wanna pray with you. If you face a giant today that you say, Chad, it really seems impossible. Well, let me tell you, friend, God is the God of the impossible. He's the God of the impossible. If there's somebody, I just sense this in my spirit, if there's somebody that you want to intercede for, for March 31 that you're inviting, you may want to come forward and pray for them today. You may want to gather around the altars and, and you can. there's plenty of room all down these sides. You may want to gather around and call their name out today and say, God, prepare the way. Prepare the way. Prepare their hearts. Prepare them to receive however you need to pray today. As they play, I want you to come. I want you to pray. You can kneel at your chair. You can pray right there. It doesn't matter. You you pray wherever God tells you to pray. And let's pray right now.